Hello, welcome to another episode of the Scrumcast. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Ray Vandewater. And I'm Luan Falco. So Luan, uh, you've got a site called uh, teachingkidsprogramming.org, and I know you guys are doing a ton of work um, uh, with different teaching styles to kind of get kids adapted and ramped up into programming. And obviously programming is a, a moderately complex task, so for a young mind, I'm sure that you've got to take a couple of different approaches. And I was just wondering if you guys have learned anything that you could maybe take into the coaching or to the agile or to the adult world um, about learning styles that you're seeing and how we might apply those to teams that we're working with today. Absolutely. I mean, in fact, I find that both we take a lot from agile into when we teach, I teach both kids and adults. And in both cases, I'm taking techniques from Agile there. And then I find that in the same way as every time you do a retrospective, you know, you realize, hey, there's something else you can do, it transfers back. And it creates sort of a neat sort of cycle. But the first thing that we've seen is just this importance of feedback. That, you know, in the same way as like it's really important to get your code in front of a customer, it's important to make sure that you are getting constant feedback, not just as to what the kid is doing, but the kid is getting constant feedback or, or the student is getting constant feedback. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I noticed that um, in, in one of the models that I've seen, it really talks about um, how you give feedback can be monumental to um, fostering additional learning. So one of the theories currently out there is if you ask somebody to do something and you give them feedback and the feedback is like, no, that's wrong or yes, that's right, um, that you actually discourage them from wanting to learn where if you reward them for the effort placed in regardless of whether the answer was right or wrong you say you know that's a really great job you did a, did a really good job of uh, trying to solve that problem but the, the but it's wrong this is how you solve it that you actually encourage um, continual learning and I, I think that uh, you know I, I know you uh, are really interested in some of the mindset kind of concepts and I think that uh, the author of that book talks a little bit about that as well um, are, are you seeing patterns about how you give feedback or how feedback is applied um, dictates you know how much a participant will dive in or not dive in in the future it, it sounds a little bit like the everybody gets a trophy I, I don't I don't think it's really everybody gets a trophy it's it's not telling somebody it's not saying it's not okay to tell somebody that they're wrong or that they're right. Um, it's that when you say that all that matters is the answer, mm-hmm. that that's where the problem is. That if you say the process of getting to the answer is what I'm, re- I'm going to re- reward you for the effort of trying, whether you tried or failed, that encourages people to go ahead and expend the effort the next time. If you have a right answer and I say, yep, that's absolutely right, and I don't reward you for the effort you put in to get the answer, you'll actually still be discouraged from wanting to put the effort in in the future to get the answer. Yeah, there's actually two things that are at play here that a lot of times get lumped together. And one is feedback and the other is praise. And I think sometimes we consider them to be the same thing. But there's a difference between saying, even if you did horrible, there's a difference between saying like, hey, you really suck at this and, and you're never going to be any good at it. You just, you're just bad versus you did bad at this and you, know, you need to work harder at it and you'll be better, but it, you have to try harder. And, and one part is the feedback. You know, did you do good or bad? And I, in the everyone gets a trophy idea, right, it sort of says everyone's good regardless of what they did. And that, that's, not, that's not useful. That, in fact, that actually is removing a layer of feedback that's important to the kids. 
But the idea of then also how you praise so in separating, you know, just the answer and the praise is a very important thing because it really is. And time and time again, it's the amount you work, the amount you practice. These things are really what determines where you end up. I think we in the past we've mentioned, uh, I think it's important to keep the two separate as well because in the past we've talked about the crap-filled Oreo, right, where it's like the, the cop-out on how to give bad feedback is you give them a compliment like, hey, you're doing a really good job, and then you throw in something about the performance or something bad and be like, but I noticed you've been struggling and interacting with others, and then you've followed up with another compliment like, but you're doing a really good job, so keep it up, and then the person walks away from the interaction not knowing whether they were rebuked or complimented or really where to stand. Yeah. Yeah, so so one, one thing that I know is really in working with kids, I think more often than not, um, for most kids, not all kids, but most kids, um, they still have a pretty strong belief that they can kind of learn new things or tackle new things. They seem to not quite give up as much. Um, and I know that in working with adults, a lot of times, um, you, you know, if you, if you encounter an adult that doesn't know how to program, they say, well, I'm just not good with electronics. I could never do that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Whereas a kid, you know, you kind of put it in front of them. So are you able to take anything you're learning with working with the kids and kind of that can do attitude of I'm willing to give it a try, even if I've never really played with a computer before, I'll try this programming thing and take that back to teams who maybe say, well, you know, we've tried that or we can't do that or it's not possible to do that. Um, how do you get them to start to change maybe their mindset a little bit to, to be a little bit more like a child in being able to try new things? Yeah, and that's actually really important. It's weird to think about, but as a kid, your life is so topsy-turvy. Like everything is changing. Your interests are changing. The people you're around are changing. You're, each year you have like a new school and, or a, a new grade, not a new school, but and, and your grades get bigger, right? So you're, you're in smaller classes when you're in kindergarten, but when you're in high school, the school is just massive. And, and so your world, you're constantly in this state of flux. But what's surprising is when you get to like 35 or so, all of a sudden you can do the same thing day in and day out in the same people. And, and like your world becomes very much more controlled and smaller. And, and so you're just not in the same kind of, hey, let's go try something. And, and to take just a very extreme example of that, think about like in college when you, you – you head out to college and you dorm. You literally share a room with just some random stranger. And that seems like an okay thing to do. But like now, the idea that like, hey, I'm just going to randomly – like having a roommate is even like a – you know, that's a push. But a roommate usually means two two rooms in the same house as opposed to the, the same room. I and mean, it's just we, we have gotten ourselves into a much more controlled place. And that really cuts down on the experimentation. And so – Kids are naturally in, in a better spot for that. But what that means is you can just quicker do the thing that you need to do, which is crucial, which is get them doing something. Because for any kind of learning to occur, first you need some sort of experience. Yeah, and, I mean, and, yeah. As I say, I think that's something that definitely you can take back to teams, right? Is, you know, I think teams will uh, kind of debate things to death a lot of times when they don't know. Um, even if it's implementing a feature that maybe they're not sure the best technical way, you know, that they'll want to beat that to death. Let's talk about it. Let's, you know, whereas if you sometimes you can just say, like, let's let's jump in and do it, you know, put a put out a spike, put out a tracer bullet, do, do something to just actually get into the doing side of things, how quickly they can kind of come back to that childlike state. Whereas if you let them kind exactly. of stay in that, you know, corporate state 
you know, it's really easy to come up with a million reasons why we can't do that or we can't try that or this isn't viable or I don't feel comfortable with that. Where if you just kind of push them off the ledge, they kind of go, hey, that was fun. I want to I want to do the ride again. So, yeah, and one of my favorite quotes from Agile is don't spend 15 minutes talking about something you can do in 10. Right. So Derek and I um, both volunteered with the First Lego League last year. Oh, fantastic. Um, helping out, uh, and I guess if you don't know what First Lego League is, it's, it's like a, it's a program where you have teams of, I think it's 8 to 14-year-olds, is that right? Yeah, nine, 9 to 14. 9 to 14, who, are, um, who work together as a team to build a robot to perform uh, a set of tasks that's standardized across all the teams, and then they show up at a competition and compete against each other. And then they also have to build a research project around that. And this what- whole thing was actually implemented by the guy who did the Segway, and it's a fantastic competition. If you have kids, I highly recommend it. And one of the things that we noticed when we were working with the kids is like we, we try to kind of implement Scrum with them and, and at the very least started out with having retrospectives with them every single time. Uh, we we met, only met once a week, so we would have a retrospective every single um, day that they got together, so once a week. And one of the things we noticed is, first off, they were a lot more open with their feelings and exactly what was bothering them than most of the adult teams that we've worked with. And the other thing <laughs> is that we ran into the exact same problems with kids as we ran into with the adults. Like, yeah, to a large extent, people are people. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, it's amazing seeing the engineering cha- challenges be almost identical um, between grown teams and teams of 9 to 14-year-olds because at the end of the day, most team problems are people problems, and people don't change a, a whole lot in their core behaviors from the time they're 9 to the time they're 99 in most cases um, without a concentrated effort to try to improve. And, and so that that's definitely was a a learning experience for us you know we thought we need a video series on yeah. you know th- 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 this is you on scrum when you were nine <laughs> <laughs> but you also pointed out a really interesting part that i've seen emerges as part of a pattern of teaching it where you get them doing something and then you have that sort of retrospective and sometimes the retrospective is just so that they can see the patterns that you know you need to do something two or three times before there is a pattern to detect um, so you need to get them engaged, and then you need to sort of retrospect over it to see the pattern. And then, of course, as a teacher, I think the job is to sort of guide them to see patterns they haven't noticed or, you know, explain patterns that they haven't noticed once they've had a chance to have, have done it before. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it was uh, probably the best example of that was this last year when, when we did it. We decided to put all of the challenges up on the board um, that they could potentially complete and we asked them to go estimate them from a 1 to a 10, how difficult they thought that those were, and to do them as a team. So basically do planning poker. You know, We didn't explain what planning poker was. We didn't explain you know, anything about it other than just if, if from a 1 to 10, how hard do you think it was? And in about three minutes, you, know, you had seven kids uh, basically doing planning poker and pretty much being within one step of agreement of each other on almost every single challenge. Which was, you know, uh, I don't think we've ever seen an adult team do that. But I, I think, you know, as adults, the problem is we, we have no ability to believe in something anymore. So we have to question every little thing. Like, well, why, why are we using points instead of hours? How come we're, you know, I mean, you know, all of the, like, I, I don't feel comfortable about this. And whereas a kid, they've never estimated anything really before. So to them, it's kind of like saying, how many pennies do you think are there in a jar, right? Like, they've got no problem throwing out some random number. And if they're wrong, they're wrong. And if they're right, they're right. Whereas in the corporate world, well, if I tell you that's a three, and then, you know, you're going to calculate my velocity, and then you're going to give me a raise based on whether my velocity's you know, too high or too low. Like, I've got all this 
you know, baggage that makes me want to not actually give you an estimate. And, and so, not engage. Right. I mean, exactly. This is the thing. You've got to engage first. And, and right. that's why, you know, the first few iterations of, of any time I get a team together and we start iterating, the first few are not indicative of how that team will perform. It's like it's after three or four, you know, sprints that some sort of stabilization occurs and gelling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what are some other things you're seeing out there uh, that uh, have your interest right now? Well, one of the big ones is this concept of well, – so we talked about feedback, but I've found that if I get um, students to collaborate or pair – I mean, pairing is a very intense form of collaboration. It's, it's definitely not the only form, but it, it's one that serves us very well, that they, they get a much better feedback cycle going. The environment for learning, there's, there's less control – that inherent when two people work together, the the control is sort of already shaken. So they're more willing to just try stuff, and and they're constantly you know giving feedback and see, one person seeing something but the other person doesn't see it. So you, you you just get this much better environment for learning. And I'm actually surprised. You know, when you walk into a classroom, it's a very quiet place normally, and and I think that's actually really hurts learning quite a lot. And and I see it in companies too where. You know, people don't want to talk to each other. People don't, they just want to go into their own cubicle and work. And that, while that might be good if you already know how to do something, I, I think it's really bad for learning. Yeah, it's funny that you say that. I think a, a lot of that's modeled from the top. And we've been doing a ton of work uh, recently with school districts and principals within school districts and um, uh, w- superintendents of schools. And so we've got uh, one school that we're really partnering with on a regular basis, and we're doing a lot of coaching and training of their staff. Um, on ways to be more agile in the classroom and be more 21st century minded. And, and after just uh, a, a number of sessions, um, leading a number of sessions with their staff, <clears throat> with their principal, um, with them, uh, their, their principal released, and I'll put it in the show notes, he, he wrote a, a diatribe that he said that a- after kind of coming in our workspace and being here for a fair amount of time, that he thinks that it's almost criminal that he has an office at the school and that he he says, you know, when I go in there and I sit and I'm doing my email and I'm being productive, the, the thing that I'm really doing is I'm shutting out all my students and all of my staff from being able to have access to me and for me to really be effective. And so he's actually looking to get rid of his office and start to work out of classrooms of the students so that he's more available to his staff and to um, his uh, students on a regular basis and so that he's there. And I think that the, the important part from my, from my aspect is talk about the power of leadership saying I think it's important to be collaborative. I I think I think it's important that, you know, I I'm making myself available and I'm doing that. And and he kind of even stated, you know, I've had an open door policy ever since I've been an administrator both literally and physically, but people don't come in and interrupt me because the fact that I'm in my office makes them think I'm not accessible. And I think exactly. he talks about too how he feels uh, how he feels like he's chained to his office and and conjectures to to like Imagine what a students must feel being forced to sit in the same desk and shut up and and just pay attention the entire day, but not be able to contribute to their own education. And which is horrible because again, once you start engaging and you start looking at it, like that's joyful. Learning, learning in general is a joyful activity, and 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 just to sort of like go into this idea of feedback and collaboration, and 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 another concept that we're seeing a lot, which is layering, right? Which is you don't learn everything at once. You build and you you layer learning on learning, and that's how you you sort of gain, or that's how you gain skill. And one of the places that I think 
is doing this better than any other area in the world right now is video games. And if you look at a lot of video games, there's a lot less instructions, there's a lot less the tutorial is becoming the game and you are actually you're getting amazing feedback and these nice little layerings and and through that in 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 the interaction you're learning pieces of the game and there's some really nice examples out there right now portal springs to mind is a, is a really good one also uh, there's a game called limbo both of them just they are teaching you something with a very interesting model of instruction absolutely so we're at, at our time um any final words or parting thoughts before we head off well the first is um go and teach your kids to program because it's really on you to do it. And there's a lot of neat resources out there. I know you guys run great stuff out there. And Chandler, uh, if you're online, we have more structured courseware at teachingkidsprogramming.org. But, but even if you do no courseware, just sit down with your kids and program with them. It will open whole new doors and worlds for them. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Luan. And we'll see you in a later episode. Thanks. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best Agile content delivered weekly for free. 